What's happening, everybody? This is Hail Yes, a Detroit Free Press podcast about University of Michigan athletics. I'm Tony Garcia, Michigan writer for The Freak, joined by Reiner Sabin, our Big Ten insider. And Reiner, there is no time for a long and cute introduction this week. It is Big Ten season. Jim Harbaugh's back. There's a lot to get to today. But as always, I am concerned with your well-being. So first things first, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Good, good. I, I say that like I didn't see you an hour ago at Shenbeckler, but I don't think I actually didn't have, ask you how you were doing. Was that rude of me? I don't Although think you so. Me I was, I yeah. We see each other all the time, so yeah. just, hey, what's up? Um, and like I said, no time for pleasantries because it's Big Ten season. Uh, and uh, as we were putting the show together today, we were like, wow, there's <laughs> there is so much to touch on. So let's map it out very quickly. Uh, first things first, in the A block, our three thoughts. Jim Harbaugh's back, as we said. Uh, the team and didn't really look how we thought in the non-conference, how we thought it might. And part of that is searching still for their offensive identity or still what is their offensive identity. And so we'll talk about those three things, how they all sort of work together. Then we will discuss this Rutgers game, which, uh, Reiner, we just spoke with Jesse Minter and Sharon Moore, or excuse me, uh, and Ron Bellamy, wide receivers coach. Uh, We spoke with Sharon Moore earlier this week, Um, but they were both, (laughs) very locked in on Rutgers. I mean, you could tell by their tone and what they were saying. I mean, Rutgers is a real test, so we'll get into that. And then segment three, the picks. Uh, But first things first, Reiner, Jim Harbaugh is back. Yeah, and I think that's a good thing for Michigan. Uh, You know, the continuity with the coaching arrangement uh, seemed to throw them a little bit off kilter, I thought. Yeah, so... And I think that's where we want to start this discussion, right? Because Michigan is three and zero in Jim Harbaugh's absence, but the the four different coaches uh, really was not how people ex- sort of expected them to handle it initially. Uh, and then now that it has happened, uh, they, I mean, they all were very grateful for the experience, and certainly there there were a lot of lessons learned. Uh, but do you think it was the best way? To, to handle it? And do you think they're glad maybe that, that that's how they handled it now? Well, I raised reservations, I guess, initially, I thought, because of the situation with Harbaugh, and kind of the unprecedented nature of it, introducing more uh, variables, I thought was a potential mistake there. Um, I, I think that kind of surfaced a little bit in the Bowling Green game, more so in the than the, and then in the East Carolina and UNLV games. But, uh, yeah, I, I just I think that, you know, the preference would have been probably to have maybe one coach handle all three games. I know what Jim Harbaugh was trying to do, give these staff members that he values opportunities uh, to be the head man. Uh, but as far as what he needs to do for his team itself and kind of create that common thread – through the season and build towards what they ultimately want to achieve. I thought maybe that he should have used one coach or again, assigned one coach to handle the first three games. Right. And there's no, there's no way to know how that would have gone. Right. Cause we can't, we can't redo it. Um, and so, but those questions were there before and I guess they'll remain after, but for what it's worth, this is sort of still just speculation on our part because those inside the walls have said nothing other than it's been fine. 
they're very they're extremely happy to have Jim Harbaugh back. There's an extra little bit of juice, especially knowing that that he'll be there this week. But uh, Blake Corum, we talked to him on Monday. He said on Saturdays we took the field with the same mindset. So no. It didn't affect us that with four different coaches and they, he didn't want any of that to, to act as any sort of excuse or buffer um, for Michigan, perhaps not playing up to the standard many ha- had expected them to, to do so through three weeks. But is that because Jim Harbaugh is not there? I mean, they, they it's easy to say that that. that it wasn't a big deal, but now it's a lot easier to talk about it now that you're on the other side of it. And Jesse Minter today was like, I mean, certainly we're like, when you take away the head man, the guy who he is the one who knows everybody, right? Like Jesse is very in tune with the defense. And then you got Sharon with the offense and then all the position coaches with their units. Jim's the one who knows all the parents. He, He is the, he is the CEO of the program. And when that's the one you remove, it asks a lot of other people. And so I think it's not a big leap to say Michigan is missing something. Jim Harbaugh was gone. So so maybe when it's not hard to figure out what that missing piece is. Sure. And I think Harbaugh runs the entire operation and the operation changes when you have a certain coach stepping into his shoes, then it takes away from, you know, that specific coach's other responsibilities and I think you saw that over play out, especially in this last game, where you know there were maybe were some issues with the offense with Sharon Moore uh, having to oversee the entire operation as opposed to just the offense and could focus in on that as they were going through some serious issues uh, against the Falcons. It's a perfect segue in, into our second thought, which is that this offensive line is still a a work in progress. Part of the Michigan not looking as we expected uh, through, through these first three weeks in some ways in others. I mean, the dominant dominant defense uh, uh, has been, has been as advertised, but I guess we're really sort of talking uh, on offense, even in the first two games when JJ wasn't throwing interceptions, they were not running the ball. uh, They were not running the ball. Well, and I mean, remember, of course, Sharon Moore was suspended game one. So he suspended game one. he, is his his attention is certainly split game two or game three, excuse me. And then game two was his first game calling plays as an offensive coordinator. So like solely, right? So, I mean, so much has been put on his plate. Maybe that is another part of why this offensive line has not just gotten to lock in and, and look. And then of course you're working in uh, Drake Nugent, you're working in Miles Hinton. And now it seems maybe that Miles Hinton is working out Carson Barnhart is working over on that right tackle side because we just met with Ladarius Henderson for the first time Tuesday evening, Reiner. And it's not it's not an accident when they bring these guys out, right? Earlier in the season, earlier in the summer, uh, Michigan generally schedules they they just sort of presents us with players, but uh, but we know we know their uh, like their staff and they'll every now and then Dave Abloff will will ask us, hey, uh, anybody you guys want to talk to? And then I was like, well, I kind of want to talk to James Turner. Um, and they did not, and, and actually might have been Chad Shepard, an, another uh, staffer uh, who, who I was having that conversation with. But the reason I bring it up is he was like, yeah, you know, I'm not sure if we can talk to him because there's still a battle, right? Like there was still a, a kicking competition. He's like, I don't want to speak for Jim and present him as if he's been anointed or something. And that was in early August. It's kind of why we hadn't heard from Ladarius Henderson. 
he's now out there. So even though we asked him if he was starting on Saturday, he's like, oh, I don't know. We're going to have to see. I think we're going to see him. Yeah, and it seemed like Harbaugh was complimentary of his play uh, on Saturday. And, uh, you know, I don't know if he's trying to speak that into existence and his hope because, again, the offensive line look, has looked a little bit shaky uh, through the first three games. Uh, he's mentioned that, again, they're not getting the runs, the efficient runs, enough. And he mentioned that Monday. And he's kind of reiterated that the last couple weeks. And I think that's something that they're really striving to work towards. I mean, becoming a much better run blocking unit than they have. They've been pretty good in pass protection, but the run blocking has not been up to the standard that was set the last two years. Yeah, I mean, we're going to spin this forward in a little bit, but this is a tough week to to try to be the one to, to, to get the run game going, right? And so uh, I guess in, in terms of the team not looking how how we expected it to through the non-conference. Do, does that extend anywhere to in your mind beyond the offensive line and most specifically the run block? Yeah. In terms of subpar, in terms of subpar. The, the, yes, I think the run game, I mean, the, there are obviously other components of the tight ends, of course. Uh, and then you also have uh, running backs themselves. I mean, Donovan Edwards is not, you know, played up to his standard at all in the first, you know, few games. Uh, I think the last game was his best so far, but still leaves a lot to be desired there. Blake Corum, I thought, looked the best again in week three uh, than he has. I mean, the cuts were there. He was showing more elusiveness and then kind of being able to kind of work out of those cuts and hit the acceleration uh, to the level that we saw last year. So I think he's coming around. Donovan Edwards remains a work in progress, and certainly the offensive line does too. Yeah, what Blake went through in the offseason was more serious. So I expected more of a ramp up, uh, yet he has impressed me more from, from the beginning with, without question. For me, the the run game is really the only place and, and all, all these components that you mentioned of it, uh, that, that has sort of underwhelmed for me. And it's hard for Michigan to have exceeded expectations in any area, given that you're going in with not just Big Ten championship expectation, right? But national championship, very legitimate aspiration. Uh, and so when when every expectation is that you're going to win, and, and Jim Harbaugh said it on Monday, right? He's like, we won by 25 and people are trying to throw a funeral for our program, right? Like, like he's like, he's like, maybe we're asking too much. You got to win by 40. You got to win by 50. Now I don't necessarily subscribe to that theory. It's not just that they won by 25. It's that they didn't look good when they won by 25. That's the issue. The turnovers, not controlling the, the, the time of possession, not, I mean, not using Michigan's formula that, that they normally do, that they're going to need um, that that's, Sort of, sort of more the issue as I see it. Sure, and that's that's why I asked Jim Harbaugh, "Do you care about just the result or the process that uh, you go through to achieve the result?" And you know, he said that yes, he cares about the process as well. And you know, I think that's important. Uh, there are plenty of times uh, covering games in the past, and I go back to my time covering Alabama. Nick Saban was not always happy just because they won the game. It was, you know, well, did they win 
the way that he wanted them to win. And sometimes they didn't. And so the process to achieve the result was not good enough. And so that's the way I evaluate teams as well, whether, you know, they played well enough, you know, did they win because, you know, they played well or did they win because the other team was so bad that, you know, it didn't matter. Uh, in, in this case with Bowling Green, they just won because the other team was limited, especially their quarterback being a, a walk-on who had played on the scout team throughout the week and was inserted in the second quarter. And that rendered them pretty feckless uh, from that point forward. Exactly. And the the result you're hoping for, if you don't get it for the right reason, then it's not the right result, right? Like it's here's an, an analogy I tried to explain to my dad when he was learning how to golf. He'll skull a nine iron on a on a par three and it'll get on the green. He'll be really excited about it, right? And I want him to get excited about it, but it's like that's not repeatable. Like that's not actually what we're looking for. Like, yes, it works for now, but that's not going to work down the road, right? And right. so that's <laughs> a weird analogy, but 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 sort of the the same thought here. Yeah, you can play really well and lose, uh, and in some ways, that sometimes is better than playing terribly and just winning by virtue of luck or or again the opposition being uh, limited or incapable of of uh, competing uh, uh, on a level playing field with a team like a Michigan or or an Alabama or whatever team you're playing uh, or, or you're comparing it to. And, and so I think it's important to understand that there is a process that uh, needs to uh, be taken care of to achieve victory. And, you know, I don't know if Michigan has got that process figured out yet. And, and I guess I want to just make a point before I forget it. And, and the lens that we look at this through, right, I think is important as well. This is through the lens of you need to be achieving and clicking on all cylinders. 98% of teams in America would love to be where Michigan is, right? To be complaining, I mean, to have the top defense in America, even if they haven't played good teams, to have a quarterback who through two weeks was leading the nation in passing, to be worried about a run game that's running for 160 yards a game and averaging five and a half yards a run. These are what I refer to as champagne problems. But Michigan is trying to pop champagne at the end of the year. And so, actually, I don't know if they're allowed to. I don't know if you even do it. That's like a pro thing. But they're trying to celebrate at the end of the year. And these are and these are these these elite, elite problems that, that those, those types of teams have, which I guess sort of brings us to the last point is, is the offensive identity, unless you wanted – if you well, have something further. Well, no, it leads into that. And that's where, like, Blake Corum was mentioning the average. Yes, the average is good, but, you know, those statistics are misleading too. How did you get that average? Was it a 50-yard run and five one-yard runs? I mean, those would it be five inefficient runs and one really explosive run, as, as Michigan terms it. And so that's why the process does matter. How are you, how are you getting that, those yards? How are you getting the win? And those are those are things that Michigan really uh, has not quite answered to the level that we were expecting uh, going into the season. No, it's true. And it's why we asked this question about their offensive identity 
what is it, Reiner? Um, and just because, and the reason we say it, it's a lot of times when you ask about an offensive identity, it's like, oh, they can't run the ball or, oh, they can't pass the ball. They can do both of these things quite well. However, they are not running as well as they have, and they are passing better than they ever have, which makes it even more tempting, which is why even now the piece you wrote uh, a week or two ago seems even more prophetic about don't get too tantalized by what JJ can do, but is it getting tantalized by what he can do if it is if it is also simultaneously the best thing for this offense? Yeah, I think Michigan goes back to its true identity, which is that it's a running team. The fact that Jim Harbaugh is back, I think he wants to reemphasize that. I think he sees that as part of his winning formula, which is related to time of possession taking pressure off the defense, uh, limiting plays for the defense, all that stuff works hand in hand for what he wants to do and what he, how he wants to win the game. So I would expect to see Michigan go back to, again, what, what got them to the Big Ten title each of the last two years, what got them to the college football playoff. Uh, each of the last two years. So I think Michigan becomes more of a running team as as we've come to expect with with the Wolverines under Jim Harbaugh's leadership. Right. Well, I mean, I think certainly we know that's the formula that they desire. But my question is, and maybe you're answering that question, do you think that's that is their best path forward? I mean, because I mean, this for me, this next week, and I guess we're going to talk about on the other side of the break shortly, it's going to be a pretty telling week in my mind. Oh, I agree. I agree. I think it it is probably their best formula because it has such a strong effect on the defense. If you go back to 2020, Michigan was ranked in the bottom 10 in rush attempts and time of possession. They went two and four that year. Everything was thrown off from that. So I think they learned their lesson in 2020. That was part of the article that you're referring to uh, that was kind of one of the premises that I kind of raised was that those lessons from that 2020 season really guided their resurgence and what they wanted to do to try to accelerate that resurgence the last couple of years. And so I see them continuing that this year. Maybe they pass a little bit more. They have that option now with JJ McCarthy uh, giving them that ability. But at the end of the day, it's still going to be a running team, in my opinion. Yeah, JJ is just the the piece that puts it over the top, right? The crown jewel sure. uh, the, that can allow you to do all these other things and keep the teams honest. Uh, Michigan football uses a lot of phrases on repeat. I don't know uh, if any of them are more than complementary football. It is the identity of this program. It is the foundation of this program. Jesse Minner talked about it today, and he said it's something Rutgers – uh, does does well as well, which is why it will be uh, su- such a test for them. And, and complementary football is based on time of possession, which is starts with the run game. So uh, I, I think you're right. But that's something Rutgers likes to do as well and has done it with some pretty decent success early on this year. So coming up on the other side of the break, uh, 3-0 Michigan, 3-0 Rutgers. What does that matchup look like? And is, this, is there any upset alert here? Uh, we'll talk about it on the other side. This is Hell Yes. Welcome back. All right, Rutgers week. 
never been more excited for a Rutgers week, but it's not just because the non-conference uh, was what was underwhelming. This is a pretty decent Rutgers team, more than decent. Uh, they're three and zero, although. They have been three and zero three seasons in a row now, right? Like this is Greg Schiano's teams have kind of been getting out to to some quick starts. Is there anything that makes you think, Ryan, that this three and zero is maybe a little different than a year or two past, or is it the same? I do think it may be a little bit different. Uh, the fact that they beat Virginia Tech pretty handily in the last game, uh, Virginia Tech has obviously receded from what they used to be, uh, but overall. Uh, it's a pretty impressive win, uh, certainly more impressive than any of the wins that Michigan actually has had so far, just because of the quality of opponent. I mean, it's a power five opponent there. So I, I do think that this, this team again, which has given Michigan issues, uh, each of the three years that, uh, or previous years that, uh, Greg Sian has been there could really, uh, challenge Michigan because they do have a strong defense and there are some issues, obviously, with Michigan's offense that need to be resolved. Yeah, and uh, and Jesse Minner was talking today about uh, how Michigan, Jim Harbaugh has been around so long that the whole emphasis of the program is trying to embody uh, just sort of what he stands for. He says Rutgers has gotten to that point, and he's like, Rutgers is built exactly how you would think like an old school defensive coordinator's mindset would want to build it, right? Strong, strong defense. Run game. I mean, not all that unlike Michigan sort of built things up right through controlling controlling time of possession, uh, just dictating the game on your terms, being ahead of the sticks uh, and winning third down and, and a lot of little grimy things that make good football teams. And now Rutgers is a tough physical football team. Yeah, if you watch the Northwestern game, I mean, they really grinded them out. I know that that was the first game Northwestern had since uh, the situation with Pat Fitzgerald. But uh, still, I mean, Rutgers was able to just pretty much dominate the ball and dictate the terms, as you alluded to. And uh, that's their style of play. And if they are able to do that to some extent against Michigan, uh, it could create some problems for what uh, you know Michigan does even on the other side because that puts more pressure on the offense to be able to – uh, create more possession uh, time for themselves and be able to extend drives. And may, they may have to change some things themselves. So if Rutgers is able to kind of dictate the terms come Saturday, then it could create some issues for Michigan and how they want to play the game. Okay. So I like it. we'll start there. When Rutgers has the ball, the things they can do to Michigan and then how it affects the other way. Um, because Rutgers, as we've just said about 14 times, wants to run the ball. Just last week against Virginia Tech, 34 carries, 256 yards. That's seven and a half a pop uh, for for four touchdowns. Um, something's got to give, right? <laughs> Michigan is is not Virginia Tech uh, on on defense. They're only giving up 81 yards per game, and really, even that is misleading. Because all of it, and I mean all of it, is coming against the third string in the fourth quarter. Uh, Michigan has allowed 60 rushes in the first three quarters of games this year for 72 total yards. It's a yard, 1.2 yards per carry is, is what the first team is allowing. I mean, just nothing. And yes, I believe, I believe that takes sack yardage into account, but the, the point remains, uh, Rutgers is going to have its toughest test running the ball. Do you think Michigan's run wall will continue to stand? 
I do. And I think, you know, again, first down is going to be critical uh, each time because I do think that Rutgers, I mean, will probably try to run the ball. And if they can get, you know, ahead of the chains, I mean, that changes everything for how well Rutgers can really uh, create issues for, for Michigan's defense. Now, if Michigan holds them to zero or one yard right out of the gate each of these times, then again, the, the, uh, the pendulum swifts in favor of Michigan. And so I think, again, first downs are going to be extremely critical in this game. Uh, I'd like to see how Michigan performs, especially early in those in the early stage of the, of the game. And as far as that's concerned, because that's where I think the game could be decided in some ways or at least uh, dictated going forward. Nailed it again. Uh, I, I agree completely. Well, I guess just because I, I agree doesn't mean you nailed it. But in my mind, you did. Um because because Rutgers is still extremely one dimensional. I mean, th- like everybody likes to look at the box score, right? Oh, and Virginia Tech's a bit a big brand name, right? Uh, oh, enter like Sandman. Oh, the whole thing, like <laughs> even though the game was in Rutgers, but like they have things that are known and like it's it's a football school with football tradition. Uh, just because it was thirty five sixteen, I mean, it was twenty one sixteen going in like one minute into the fourth quarter. Virginia Tech did not get the two point conversion, and then Rutgers pu- pulled away late. But Rutgers, as I said, is still one-dimensional. Gavin Wimsett, in a 19-point in a win, 7 of 16 passing for 46 yards. I mean, that's 2.8 yards per attempt. That's bad if you're rushing the ball. <laughs> and, they, and they were passing. I mean, Michigan, I mean, their defense is so dominant. You cannot run the ball against Michigan if they know you can't pass it. Rutgers cannot pass it. And that's why, like, like I think Rutgers is a little different and they will be good enough to grind out opponents, not Michigan. This is the wrong, this is the wrong team to do that against. I think you may be right again, though, just for, uh, just for not from, for Michigan's level of skill for specifically what Michigan is built for. Again, uh, I'll go back to uh, each of these last three years. I mean, there, there was the three overtime game. Uh, in 2020, obviously, that's an anomalous season for Michigan. A lot of things that uh, they did that year that have not happened since or even before there. So uh, chalk it up, maybe that to an anomaly. But the following year, which was the 2021, you know, first run to the Big Ten title college football playoff, that game went down to the wire at home. It was a 20 to 13 game. And uh, it was a late fumble, and uh, you know Michigan recovered and was able to seal the game within the last two minutes. But that was that was a nip and tuck affair throughout. And then, uh, you know, in uh, this past year, uh, when they went to Piscataway, uh, Rutgers led at halftime. And granted, Michigan scored the final thirty-eight points and won fifty-two to seventeen. But that this, minor detail. Yeah, but the, but it's true. I mean, it, well, I, you know, there's not Michigan. there's no guarantee though that that you know Michigan will be able to you know put things together in the same way in the second half. You know, again, there's been three years of tape, three years of Shiano seeing this Michigan offense, uh, and so I do think you know they could they could create some issues for for Michigan, especially on the defensive side and whether they can get some any kind of momentum on offense uh, and able to play their style of football, 
you know, they could post post the problems for them. I, I think I, I c- certainly they can pro- pose problems, and uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball, which we're going to get to in a moment. I get. I just still think the offense is is uh, too limited. And if and if you recall, like yeah, I like, guess you say Rutgers gave Michigan problems last year uh, in, in the first half. Michigan was a second half team last year. I mean, in just about every single game, it was within a possession or two, and then they and then they would pour it on. Um, I mean, Iowa, Michigan State, uh, Penn State. Penn State was a two-point game. They won by 25. Uh, Ohio State, uh, I mean, I, I mean that, that was Michigan. They, they, that was, they claimed that as their identity last year, right? Second-half team. So, um, but is, that, right. is, that, is that Michigan's identity this year? We don't know. And the, the other thing that concerns me, again, goes back to the offensive line not being settled against a team like Rutgers. And that's where yeah, no. That's where I want to get I want to get to right now. You're you're right. And cuz I'm not I'm not saying I think Rutgers defense is about is about to pose some real problems for Michigan. But I but it's the other side, which is why I don't think Rutgers is going to get over the top. But okay. Rutgers defense. I mean, you and I we we were going through through the numbers. Very good, right? Run, uh, run D number 11, total D top 20, uh and and they'll turn you over. Yeah, five interceptions, 11th in the country. Uh, that's an issue, obviously, now coming off the, the game Saturday where J.J. McCarthy threw three picks. So I think he's going to play a little bit more cautious in this game because uh, he, he's going to have to. This team has shown that they can beat ball hawkers. And so I think the uh, that, that's something that he's going to be aware of. And I think it's going to maybe – you know, and Jim Harbaugh also being back, I think he's going to probably rein him in a little bit. So I think that's going to be interesting to watch. And uh, I'm also curious to see how Michigan Fair is running the ball against a usually pretty strong front seven with Rutgers. They usually have pretty good linebackers and, uh, you know, so, some active defensive linemen. But particularly uh, the linebackers always seem to be able to kind of fill gaps and and uh, create some issues. So I, I think this will be an interesting matchup from a, a Michigan's offense standpoint and um, more so than I would have thought going into this season. Like I didn't think that this game necessarily would be that intriguing, but I'm kind of interested in seeing how Michigan performs in their Big Ten opener. Yeah, no, me too. Likewise, likewise. And uh, Tyreen Powell, one of those linebackers, Robert uh, Longerbeam is uh, he's like a nickel, I believe. Um, he 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 fills a lot of gaps too. Um, and then there's Aaron Lewis, who was was uh, was a Michigan Wolverine for about six months, uh, and 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 then went to uh, to Rutgers. And he he's actually a very nice player on the on the on the defensive line as well. Um, so so you're, so you're right. They, they've got some guys. Uh, Reiner, we were talking about how we expect Michigan to be more run heavy in moving forward that that starts this week what do you expect from Blake and Donovan I I expect some good things from Blake for sure again I was very encouraged by his performance uh in in week three I don't know what to expect from Donovan Edwards I mean I think he has not quite hit his stride although I did think again against Bowling Green that was his best performance too and the fact that when he did make the cut, he was very decisive and went upfield, and that's his game. And so uh, I'd expect to see more of it. I just want to know how much 
he's going to be able to find room and find those holes against a Rutgers defense that is pretty stout up front. And then J.J. McCarthy coming off of a game, I mean, coming off of a game with three interceptions, right? I mean, Michigan's Michigan staff is not, Jim said on Monday, I mean, we're still letting J.J. still want him to let it rip, right? Obviously, yeah. J.J. is the guy. There's no question about that. But just an internal confidence, right? This is now three or two of the last four games, going back to the TCU game, where he's thrown multiple picks. Uh, and so, and now the other two games, he was the best, one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. So it has actually been surprisingly Jekyll and Hyde, uh, for, for someone who has been, who has all the talent in the world and really looks to be ascending. And I expect Bowling Green to be a blip on the radar, not the norm. However, this is a tough defense, uh, to, to, to get it going against. I wonder if they use his legs a little bit more using JJ's legs. Now that they're in the Big Ten season, I think that could really open everything up, right? Give him, I mean, a little bit more RPO. You see how much success they have with the play action. But if you're letting him run off that as well, even, still with the same precautions, go down. Don't like, you don't need to dive for first downs unless it's on <laughs> third down with the game on the line, right? Like, still be cautious, but expand this a little bit. I agree. I think that would be ideal. I, I do wonder about, Again, the situation with Michigan's backup quarterback affecting how they want to, how much they want to run JJ, and also the fact that he did come up hobbling at one point against Bowling Green uh, when he was tackled from behind. Uh, he was caught in the lower leg, looked like he was kind of limping a little bit afterwards, and it, there there is some risk involved there. And as much as they would like to him to open it up, which he does by getting to the edge. That creates more uh, space in, in the middle for Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum. Uh, I don't know if they necessarily can. And, you know, they're going to have to be very, very judicious in how they choose to deploy J.J. McCarthy as a runner. They do. Um, but you can't leave the kid gloves on forever. He is the, he is the leader of this team. Uh, as they were saying, up until Bowling Green, right? And so you got to trust him uh, to, to know what to do. But of course, uh, the, the precaution must be taken. Um, and so on the other side of the break, I guess we will determine whether or not Michigan wins and covers the spread uh, as, as part of the picks. And that's when we'll bring in uh, our editor and our producer, Andrew Burkle. So one last little bit of bills to pay on the other side, the picks. You're listening to Hail Yes. Welcome back. All right. It is time for the picks. And man, we had a tough time selecting the slate for the games we were going to pick from. This is what we, I mean, we have earned this after uh, what, what we had to pick through last week. Um, and as always, our, our moderator, our facilitator, our editor, our producer, he was supposed to be uh, our, our gambling savant. That has yet to happen. Andrew Burkle, welcome in. Tony, thanks for having me. And honestly, I'm going to try to go spin zone here. I'm supposed to provide the folks with ways to make money. And right now, all I have to do is fade me. And they will be there gold. Go. So I'm ice cold, but it, it's got to turn around sometime here. So I'm usually pretty good at these things. Not this year. 
Yeah. No, it'll, it'll turn. It'll turn. It'll turn. I'm, I can't, I mean, I'm, theoretically a monkey could do what I'm doing. Uh, I am five and five on the season. Reiner four and six. We will not mention briefly that you are three and seven, but it all changes this week. <laughs> Andrew, start us off uh, where we, where we headed. All right. As we always do, we'll open up with Michigan hosting Rutgers. Um, Reiner, we'll start with you. Who do you have in this game? Michigan is a 24 point favorite. Yeah, I've got, uh, uh, Rutgers, uh, basically, uh, <laughs> because, well, Michigan has not, you know, covered the whole season and they, uh, have kind of underwhelmed and the fact that they do still have some issues and that Rutgers is kind of an interesting team. And in the fact that they are out, you know, with the three and O start and their defense is solid. Um, so I, you know, given Michigan's offensive issues, I'm going to go with Rutgers. To be clear, you're taking them with the points, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Because I think Andrew was like, who you got in that one? You're like, no, yeah, I got Ru- you're like, I got Rutgers. I was, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I've lost my mind. Um, no. If it wasn't already lost before. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I too uh, have Rutgers covering Michigan winning. Um, but, but yeah, 24, um, Rutgers hasn't given up 24 this year. Um, I mean, and I know, and I know everything I said, I do have my concerns, my reservations about Rutgers ability to move the ball. There's a reason that this spread is still out this wide, but you're right. Oh, and three again, against the, against the number Michigan is, uh, and Michigan, a very, very, uh, public Vegas team. They're going to, if, if they're going to keep getting money in on it, Vegas is going to keep that line all the way out there. So, that's a ton of points, uh, Rutgers. Andrew? Yeah, I, I'm going in the opposite direction. I'm taking Michigan for a couple of reasons. First of all, Michigan, the last uh, two seasons before this, uh, with Jim Harbaugh at the helm, keynote there, um, keep that in mind, 19-8-1 uh, the last two seasons against the spread. So as much as you know, Mich- uh, Vegas takes money on Michigan, they've been consistently covering the spread the last two years. Uh, 2021, they were uh, like 11-3 and against the spread, so – that was crazy. Uh, they were again eight five and one last year. They're zero and three right now. Harbaugh has not coached a game. He's back this week against Rutgers. I think it's a difference, and I think they cover those twenty four points in a get right game uh, at home against Rutgers. So uh, let's move on to the uh, uh, Michigan's arch rivals. Two of their arch rivals actually: Notre Dame and Ohio mm-hmm. State facing off at Notre Dame. Ohio State three point favorites on the road. Lots lots of breakdown here, but Reiner, who are you taking on this one? I'm taking Ohio State uh, just because I think uh, they, they resolved some of the issues that they were having in the first couple of games against Western Kentucky. Uh, I also just feel like Ryan Day uh, comes up, with the exception of Michigan, comes up with usually a good game plan for <laughs> uh, every team that uh, – they play against, you know, that is a big, that is a big game. And he does, he does give his, uh, give his team the best chance. So I, I'm going to go with that. Although I do like the way that uh, Sam Hartman has affected Notre Dame. And so uh, I do think it's going to be a close game, but I have Ohio state covering. Yeah. Not just Sam Hartman, uh, Audric Estime, the one time Michigan state recruit now, at Notre Dame running up and down and up and down and up and down fields. I mean, I haven't looked at his numbers. It feels like 
He's got like 500 yards already. I mean, I mean, he's he's been the real deal. Uh, and yes, Ohio State certainly. I mean, if you're a Buckeye fan, that week three, that's what Michigan wanted to see. Week three, right? Like not quite what you wanted the first two weeks, but at the end of the non-con, just boom, just hammer someone. It's like, all right, let's go. Like let's roll now as 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 the calendar really turns. Um, however. I mean, playing Youngstown State and uh, Western Kentucky at home is very different than going to South Bend. And uh, and I mean, Notre Dame, they've got a lot of get- tough games this year. I mean, I mean, their schedule is just brutal. Uh, and, and this is where it starts. But you're giving me three points at home. I'm, not, I'm, t- I'm taking Notre Dame and I'll take those points, but I sprinkle it on the money line. Uh, Ohio State is a younger team uh with more with more new pieces yes sam hartman is new to notre dame but uh he's he's been he's been around longer and i and i I certainly like the home team if ohio state was at home i would have them i am gonna have to side with you desire as well uh, hearing uh the term new and sam hartman just feels weird to hear it's like a double entendre it's like two (laughs) things that contradict each other because he's like yeah (laughs) he literally is like just you look at him and you're like, okay, that guy could be an NFL veteran. Like he'd be an old guy in the NFL, but here he is leading Notre Dame. And honestly, I kind of liked what I've seen from Notre Dame so far this year. They weren't as uh, impressive against central Michigan uh, only beat them 41 to 17, but you know, they had that weird game and I guess it was their third game, but it was week two uh, against NC state. There was like lightning and the game kept getting pushed back. They powered through all that adversity and went out there and ended up winning 45-24 against NC State, who's, you know, they're they're not Austin four like parlay. Yeah. And they're not, and that's better than anyone Ohio uh, Ohio State's played so far this year. Uh so I like what I've seen from Notre Dame, and I'm gonna bank on those three points at home and, and ride with the, the fighting Irish in this one. Let's move on. We have, like we said, we have all kinds of good games this week. We had we almost we had to add one that, to the list. Last year we last week we could only come up with three. We had to go with five this week. So Ole Miss and Alabama, Lane Kiffin versus Nick Saban. Uh, Reiner, who are you going with this one? I mean, Lane Kiffin has pushed Nick Saban uh, last couple of years. I have a feeling that this is the time that he actually gets him uh, in Tuscaloosa. Alabama is really struggling on offense. The quarterback situation is unsettled, as everybody knows, with Jalen Milrow. Coming back as a starter after sitting out the previous week, uh, I don't think Nick Saban really is confident about this team at all. Uh, I mean, he referenced the 2015 team where they had some issues at quarterback uh, before they settled on Jake Coker, but that team had Derrick Henry, which they don't have. And so they they have issues with the offensive line. The defense isn't up to uh, Alabama's standard. Yes, I think this is the year that Lane Kiffin goes into Tuscaloosa and beats and beats Saban. Yeah, that, t- that I think that team also had like a like. I don't know if it was Julio Jones or like a Calvin, like Calvin Ridley type or whoever they always or Jerry Judy. Like, obviously, those are not that's not the right era. I know. But they they I'm sure had some big like Alabama type wide receiver on the outside. They don't have those like those same big skill freak guys right now. You know what I mean? Like there, there's no one who 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 wows me on Alabama. And I'm yeah. sorry, I don't know the Alabama 2015 roster off the top yeah. of my head, but you should. But yeah, the 2015 team had a, a ridiculously good defense, uh, and that defense w- was even better in 2016. And they had again Derrick Henry and a mat, you know, really good offensive line. Towards the end of the season, it was Kiffin that was actually using Derrick Henry to run over teams 
uh, basically handed the ball like 40 to 45 times a game and just let him, you know, work over some, some SEC defenses and get to the college football playoff. And so I think this team is not anywhere close to that vintage of Alabama team. So, I mean, this, this is the year that Ole Miss gets Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. I I think these are two fraudulent teams. I think Ole Miss is fake as well. Um, But someone's got to win. And I don't know if Ole Miss wins, but I don't think they lose by more than a touchdown. So uh, Ole Miss. So you mentioned if Ole Miss is, do you think they're fraudulent? Well, we're going to find out here pretty soon. They're at Alabama, uh, home against LSU, on the road or at home against Arkansas, on the road at Auburn, and then they have Vandy, Texas A&M, Georgia, uh, one of those non-conference games, and Mississippi State. So we are going to find out uh, pretty quickly if Ole Miss is good or not. Right now, I just trust I, I trust Ole Miss's offense more than I trust anything on Alabama right now. We look at the, the point totals they've put up. 73 against Mercer, throw that out the window. But, you know, there's there's teams who could never score 73 against Division II teams uh, just based on their style of offense. They can score points, 37 against Tulane and 48 against Georgia Tech. Alabama, meanwhile, has has really struggled to put up points. You know, that's, that, that is, it's not everything, but 56 in the first week, 24 against Texas and only 17 last week. I just think that if, it gets, if they turn it into a Lane Kiffin-style game, and Kiffin, like you said, knows Saban pretty well, uh, I think that uh, they just can't simply keep up with Ole Miss's scoring. So I'm going to go with Ole Miss in this one. We were all surprised that Alabama was favored by a touchdown, right? So we do, my brother and I do guess the lines every single week for college. We do like six games or something. We guess the line. I actually guessed seven and a half for Alabama just because I figured that at home they're going to get that that respect. So uh, we call it lucky, call it whatnot, but I can't say I was shocked by that one. No, clearly not. <laughs> I was. I was. I thought I would have thought it'd be like four. I just think that Alabama gets all that respect in the world, right? They're gonna get yeah. all the respect. And if, if you if you post a line like Alabama minus four and a half, people are gonna hammer that line. And then they then that's not what Vegas wants. So uh let's take a look at Colorado and Oregon. We've had Colorado in these picks every single week because plain and simple, they're the most exciting team in the country, uh, from any number of standpoint you want to look at. Lowane running in the mouth of the tunnel. The Rock in the Locker Room, Jay Norvell Beef with Deion Sanders. I mean, there's always something going on there. Um, but Tony, it seems that seems to think that you're you think they're kind of fraudulent, right? So what what do you think for this one? 21 point underdogs. I mean, I like I'm super impressed with what Dion's done, right? And like I'm not I'm not trying to be a hater, but whenever something loses cabin pressure to this point, I'm just like, all right, like let's let the air out of the balloon and let's come back to earth and then see what we really have here. That's what's going to happen this week. Uh, or or Oregon on the road. I mean, God, Jay Norvell, how is that idiot still employed? What on earth are you doing when you are down, like, fourth and two, you are a 24-point underdog at Colorado. You got a chance to keep your offense on the field and just win it. You punt. You somehow execute and pin them on the two, and then you go into a prevent defense and let them charge all the way down the field. <laughs> then you get to overtime. After Colorado scores first, you score. You know there's only two overtimes, so you're going to have to start going for two on the next overtime. Yet you opt not to choose your best two-point play right there. You kick an extra point, and then you get and then you go into double overtime and lose. I mean, I I hate this man. I, I just I'm just so upset because I couldn't imagine being a Colorado State fan with all the slander they took and like being that big of underdogs. That would have been the biggest win in school history. And he 
And solely he cost them that. All right. I just need to get that out of my system. Uh, I don't know where that came from. Clearly you were bothered. Oregon. Oregon. Uh, and, and again, Bo Nix at home. Um, I, I, just, I just think eventually. Like, and, and Colorado State's a horrible team. Like, that's a really bad team. And they had that chance. And so that's why, like, Oregon at, at home. I got to check my blood pressure. Man, that was going. We were going. You, you, right. sound, like, you sound like the game show host in Billy Madison. <laughs> that's how. That's how I would have. That's how I would have spoken. Except in a much more animated tone, since his yeah. is very, very monotone. When he, yeah, oh, Billy, but his answer was terrible. Anyway, uh, the Oregon. Uh, I'm going to go with Oregon just because. Again, it's at home. Travis Hunter's not playing for Colorado. Uh, you, you would have to think Deion Sanders is kind of hot streak is going to run out. Uh, in Eugene, that's a that's a tough environment to play in, uh, and uh, Dan Lanning is a, gr- a really good defensive mind. I think that they'll come up with a, a good scheme to stop Shadur Sanders and that offense. But yeah, I mean it's it's impressive what Colorado has been able to do thus far. So I mean, there's no shame in losing to Oregon, in my opinion. And uh, yeah, so but I have Oregon covering the spread for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I think like you guys, you guys kind of got to the point there where it's just like at some point you're going to stop. You can't pull another rabbit out of the hat. You know what I mean? And and they did so last week with the crazy overtime game against Colorado State the week before uh, against Nebraska. It seems like they played the game of their lives the week before that. Or Sorry, that was two weeks ago against the I got it all mixed up now. The TCU was week one. They kind of pulled the rabbit out of the hat in that one. Then it was Nebraska. Then it was Colorado State. They've just been like kind of making craziness happen. Um, and I think it kind of comes to an end here in a super tough road environment uh, against Oregon. So I'm going with uh, the Ducks as well. Final game of the picks, a little Big Ten action. Uh, if you like defense, this will probably be the game for you. Number 24, Iowa at number seven, Penn State. The Nittany Lions are 15-point uh, favorites. Uh, so, Reiner, close us out. Who's your, who's your pick for this matchup? Yeah, I'm going with Penn State. It's at home. Uh, it'll be a night game. Uh, and there's also the fact that uh, they have one of the top defenses in the country against an Iowa team that is uh, led by Brian Ferentz, who, again, is under a mandate to score 25 points a game. Uh, clearly, that's an issue uh, in Iowa. Offense has always been an issue. Uh, so I think Penn State just kind of squeezes the life out of them, scores enough points, uh, and covers the spread. Iowa's offense struggles to score points. Its defense does not. Uh, and and 15 points is a ton to, to give up uh, when you're playing an Iowa team. This is, this is one of those games, if I were betting on it, I would bet it, and I don't think I could watch it, right? It's like, it's like a close your eyes and just check the score at the end. It's not I'm, – I'm taking Iowa. It is not fun because they they are not they're not going to cover in, in in a cute way. It's gonna it's not going to be enjoyable. However, that's all they need is about what ten points or so, and then and then Penn State's got to go over twenty four. Penn State's got to get to twenty seven. That's I mean I mean that's tough to do against Iowa. It, it, it really is, uh, especially in, in in shorter games. Iowa's just got to. I mean, 
they they turned the ball over. Uh, I mean, now Penn State has actually looked very good. Drew Aller, I'm extremely impressed with. Uh, Katron Allen and Nick Singleton, that like the, the running back combo is great. The defense elite under Manny Diaz, Chop Robinson, Kalen King from Detroit. Uh, I mean, they, they have studs all over the field. Uh, but Iowa is Iowa mucks it up. Iowa. Iowa, Iowa's games and 15 is ju- just too much for me. So I'm going with the Hawkeyes. Uh, see, I don't think that 15 is too insurmountable. I think, I think that if this was 17 uh, and, and all the points matter in games like this, but you know, if, if uh, Penn state can score, like you said, 27 points, now it's 27 to 10, or if they somehow, if they get in the thirties, I mean, I just don't trust Iowa's offense at all. And I think another slept on part about uh, picking the Hawkeyes is, that they're they have to control the ball. The more chances they give Penn State, the more chances they have to score. I just don't know if they'll have enough ball control to keep themselves in this game, just because their offense is it, just it's it's gross. So I'm going with Penn State in this one to cover uh, the 15 points there. So those are uh, my picks for this week here. All right. Well, there you have it. I would tell someone to I, – I don't know who to fade because none of us are winning. So find the proper combination of fading all of us, and you can have a positive weekend. Uh, I know we will all have positive weekends because there is a lot of very entertaining football coming up, uh, and you can read all about it at Freep.com. You can listen to it uh, on this podcast uh, wherever you get podcasts, Spotify, Apple Pod, Google. We're going on YouTube soon-ish, I believe. Um, so thank you uh, for, for listening thus far. Thank you to our executive editor, Anjanette Delgado, our editor-in-chief, Nicole Avery Nichols, our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford, to Reiner, to Andrew, to our audio engineer, Robin Chan, uh, who, who, who does a tremendous job as well. Um, we, we've been getting this thing going. We feel like we're hitting our stride a couple times a week. Uh, we might be peaking as Big Ten season happens, and we're on a national championship run. So so join us and, and, and stay along uh, for the ride. The next time we talk to you, uh, Michigan will have just played Rutgers, and they will be looking at their very first road trip coming up to Nebraska. So we'll see if they're 4-0 or a what would be a surprising 3-1, and we'd have a whole heck of a lot to talk about. Uh, so for Reiner, for Andrew, I'm Tony. See you next time.